In improvisational theatre, there's an adage that says make your partner look good. In leadership and business relationships, this means you can make personal interactions a win-win situation for both you and your colleagues. Welcome to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Speaking with guests and listeners like you, Amy uses her wisdom and wit, leading you along the road to success. Now, here's your host, Amy Carroll. Welcome, everyone, to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. As a communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, I'm delighted to be your host and excited to bring you insights and ideas to help you solve your communication conundrums. This is the 57th episode of my show, Partner Up with Amy Carroll. If you want to find out more about me or what the show is about, feel free to listen to previous episodes either on my website, carolcoaching.com, or go directly to voiceamerica.com business channel. Be sure to download their app, or you can tune in using your favorite podcast app. Like it or not, our brains are wired to keep us safe. Our experiences and environments then determine what safe means for each of us individually. Unfortunately, playing it safe can perpetuate a cycle of poor outcomes. Now, if you missed last week's show, I interviewed Sari Ibrahim. He's a financial analyst and asset protection specialist who taught us the philosophy of breaking that cycle of poor outcomes. So you're going to want to check out that episode from September 24th. Now, today, my guest is Lily Newman. Welcome, Lily. Thank you, Amy. It's lovely to be here. Oh, I am delighted. I'm looking forward to this conversation. (laughs) I know. It's going to be a highlight of my week, I think. Excellent. So, listeners, what you want to know about Lily is she is an adrenaline junkie. I thought I was. Oh, my goodness. She's got me beat. She's a keynote speaker, a leadership consultant, an ex-BBC journalist, a crazy cake baker. Yes, we'll get there a flag waver, and an advocate for women in business, consistently challenging women to tear up their life-limiting scripts and find the freedom to who they really want to be. Lily's a founding member of Act for Africa. It's a charity that combats gender inequality through training and education in Uganda. She sees the education of women as the most fundamental opportunity to eradicating poverty in the developing world. And I second that. To raise funds and awareness for this charity, she's completed a 220-mile bike ride across England. I'm going to guess some of that was in the rain. A lot of that was in the rain. (laughs) You've been here before. (laughs) Oh, yeah. She has overcome her fear of heights to complete a wing walk. I need to know. What is it? What I think it is? I mean, tell us what a wing walk is. So you're on a biplane. Okay, so it's a little plane, two wings, and you're standing on top of it, but you are strapped in. You're not having to try and cling on. You're strapped in, and they take off, and so you're outside of the plane, standing on top of it. You're doing a couple of loop-the-loops, trying not to be ill, mostly. I, I, I hate heights as well, but you've got to pick on, pick on big challenges if you Do want they- to raise big money. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Do they literally tell you not to eat beforehand? Well, they say go easy on the breakfast. And, and mm. the awful thing is in, in, the, um, in the sort of introduction to it, they show you videos of when wing walks have failed and oh, biplanes have, have caught fire or, or crashed. And so they're, they're, you then say, sign a waiver to say it's not your fault if I die doing this. Oh, so given, it, given I'm not very keen on heights anyhow, it was, it was quite a big thing to still go and get strapped to this plane, but that's how crazy I am. Wow, that I had no idea it was that extreme. Yeah, quite extreme. Jeez. Listeners, her most recent challenge has been swimming 21 miles, the distance of the English Channel at her local pool. That would be 40 kilometers. 
my friends. That yeah. is a heck of a long time. How, how long did it take you? Well, I, I committed because I normally, I'm not a very strong swimmer. I can normally do 20 lengths at a time, but I committed to the 1,344 lengths in less than a month, which I achieved. And with work, it meant that every time I swam, I had to do between 50 and 100 lengths of my 25 meter pool. So um, it, it was it was quite exhausting, but really exhilarating, but probably the toughest challenge I've taken on. Wow. And I'm guessing, so listeners, that money that she raised, will fund emergency food parcels for starving adolescent moms in Uganda who have been, it's hard to read it, hugely impacted by COVID. So that's really beautiful, Lily. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, for Mm. me, there's never been such an urgent need because we're used to around the world, the developed world, that there is some sort of safety net, isn't there? Like furlough payments because of COVID. Um, There's some sort of DSSS and there's NHS support for the adolescent mums and for most people in sub-Saharan Africa. There is no safety net. If you don't work and you can't work, you can't eat. And so the government with the lockdown in Uganda have said, you can't even travel to work your fields if you grow coffee or if you grow cassava or whatever it may well be. So literally we've got girls starving and begging for scraps. And so, so far we've raised enough money to fund uh, around about 300 food parcels and each food parcel represents a week's worth of food. So, wow. So, yes, but the, the, yeah, the need is massive. The need yeah. is massive. Our cr- crucial thing is really to get out the other side of it because the girls that we work with in Uganda hate a handout. They absolutely do. They are so mm. proud. And so ultimately what we do focus on, which I'll talk about later with Act for Africa, is on providing them uh, with training through our HEAL programs, health empowerment okay. and livelihood to help them set up small businesses and be self-sufficient. Okay, yeah. Yeah, That's I can appreciate it. I think people around the globe, you know, anyone you ask that they would prefer not to hand, have the handout. They want yeah, to be able they to need a hand up, not a handout. Amen. Yeah, yeah, well said. And now, listeners, on a lighter note, during COVID, Lily set up a voluntary project called Cakes of Kindness. And during this time, she recruited a team of voluntary bakers. Collectively, they baked and delivered 16,000 cakes to NHS staff and to vulnerable people. Her son, Max, and she she has uh, three children, her son, Max, and two Ugandan children, Kanis and Tony, whom she has supported since they were orphaned 15 years ago. Yeah. And she and her husband, Michael, love to bike and swim, which makes sense because they need to keep moving in order to right counteract the impact of having so much homemade cake in the kitchen. That would make sense. <laughs> My husband was not allowed actually in the kitchen for most of last year for the first seven, eight months of COVID. It was like, get out of the kitchen because I knew the cakes I'd made that were packed up to be delivered would have been devoured. So I was like, go and run, go and bike, go and do something else. <laughs> do, do That's your effort for charity. Yeah. <laughs> So, Lily, I want to jump into some questions and really to um, benefit from all that knowledge you hold. I know your main focus is on growing better leaders of all kinds. Yeah. And this includes executive and non-executive board members. So my first question for you is what kind of qualities do you believe make a good leader? Uh, Amy, this is a really interesting one because I dug out an old quote that I found from the Financial Times and they say – 
a board member needs to be supportive, intelligent, interesting, well-rounded, funny, entrepreneurial, objective, yet passionate, independent, curious, challenging, and fit. They need a financial background, real business experience, and a strong moral compass, and be first-class all-rounders if you want to be a leader. I mean, I, I don't know a single leader that can cover everything, every single, a single one. single human being. No, <laughs> of those. Um, for me, a leader needs to have a vision that inspires other people to follow. You cannot be a leader unless you have followers. So you need to be able to have a really clear, focused vision and story that is going to change your world, uh, change the marketplace, really impact your customers and your clients that other people believe in. I also think they need to be, I mean, for me, it's morally incorruptible, although there are an awful lot of corrupt leaders out there, as we know. But to have real humility and understanding of the human condition. Mm. I think too many leaders out there are trying to grow more followers. And yes, yeah. we all need followers, but our job as leaders should be to grow more leaders, yeah. to really cheerlead and, and cheer on those that we're working on to help them to be the best version of themselves. So, Willie, this point you just brought up about humility, I would imagine this is particularly tough because – what I've seen, what I've heard, some research has shown that when someone becomes a leader and they join the in-group, often their empathy for the out-group dissipates almost immediately. Yeah. So how do you encourage and reinforce pe- these leaders to develop that or to hold on to that humility? I, I mean, for me, it's definitely thinking about legacy, because mm-hmm. if you're only thinking about this job and this role mm-hmm. or this business that you're setting up, then ultimately your business will never grow to, mm-hmm. to, to the strength and the capability that it really should have. So I, I encourage leaders to think about the last day at work or when you sell your business, what do you want people to say about you when you're not around? Or the last day that you breathe your breath on this planet, What do you want to be remembered for? And is it to be the guy or the girl that stood on people's heads to make sure that they stood head and shoulders above everybody else and were recognized? Or is it the person who was the the encourager, the person that recognized the capability, the skills and the talents in other people and encouraged them to be be better? And I I think, you know, there are those. It's amazing how long it takes. And I think COVID has been amazing for people to get out of that cycle of, if I have more money, I'll be more happy. If I have the Maserati or the Ferrari or whatever and the big house out in the country, then I'll be more happy. And I think very often as we reach greater maturity, people recognize that actually that happiness doesn't come from things. And it's really important. I think it's it's a couple of guys called The Minimalist who wrote a brilliant book in the States. They said it's really important to remember to – to love people and use things because the other way around doesn't work. Mm. And I think that's the crucial thing. It's about love the relationship and use, use things, things because yeah. the other way around doesn't work. Mm-hmm. So you said having uh, vision, humility, um, knowing your legacy, anything else you would add to that? Yeah. I mean, we need to do, have um great judgment. And I think the other thing that I like to focus on, if I use one business model for every leader that I work with, it's understanding the three agendas of leadership and how do we utilize those, but making sure we've got balance between those three. 
And those three for me are, there needs to be a strategic agenda. So we need to be working towards something that has got metrics, something that is measurable and is tangible so that people know when they've achieved success or when they're failing. Mm -hmm. The second one is we need to pay attention to the emotional agenda. And this is how are our people feeling? How engaged are they? How valued do they feel? And this is not just your staff, it's your suppliers and your clients. Wow. We get so, so many companies that I know, leaders that I know, they go, gosh, you know what? We had our best client leave and we thought they were really happy. And I said, how in touch were you with their emotional agenda? How motivated they were to buy from you? What were you doing to seek feedback? And so, well, the feedback was they kept buying. Yeah, Yeah. but if we're disgruntled, that's underneath the surface, isn't Mm -hmm. it? So we've got to pull that out. And then the third thing that we need to look at, and that is what are the behaviors that are aligned with your personal values and your company values that can pull people together so that they're all rowing in the same direction. Nice. And when somebody suddenly turns those behaviors and maybe they're self-serving, they're a taker rather than a giver in the business, that the rest of the team turn around and say, hey, you know, we're all in the boat going in this direction. What's happening with you? And they call it out rather awesome. than let yep. it fester, yeah? Yes. So definitely focusing on the three agendas is my my best Mm -hmm. leadership model that I use repeatedly. And I love the second one in particular that really speaks to me about the emotional mindset and condition of everybody you interact with. It speaks to my philosophy, which is the improv philosophy, make your partner look good and always put the relationship over the outcome. That's a hard one for some people. Well, Amy, what if the outcome is really important? Well, if you don't have the relationship, the outcome is not going to last for long. You may get it once or twice. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I have a client who is um, in his early 60s now, absolutely loves his job. And he said, Lily, I recognize I've been through three stages in my career. My first stage, so he's a very successful successful accountant, uh, big, big accountancy firm here in the UK. My first stage was, it was all about the Maserati and the Porsche. How much money do I make? He said, in phase two, I realized actually that it should be the customer that's king. And then if I look after my customer, we'll be more successful, we'll make more money. He said, and then I realized my staff turnover was high because I was always pushing for the customer's needs. And he says, so I realized actually if I've got happy staff that are really fulfilled in what they do and that they've got a pathway that they're developed, that they're appreciated, that they feel successful too. If I've got happy staff, I've got happy customers, I still get the Maserati. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. You know, one of the passions that when we were talking a week or so ago that we no surprise discovered was this passion for empowering women. And I'm curious, why do you think there are still so few women who make it, make it into these top jobs? Well, I've got a, I've got a a whole um, list of reasons that I've, from my research and my work that I've done with women over the last 20 years. I I was looking at some statistics recently, Amy, and and I looked at um, the Fortune 100 CEOs. There are still only, in 2020, there were only 5% of the top 100 Fortune CEOs were women. And of the top 1,500 CEOs, there are more called Dave than there are females. And it continues to be a, a problem that's ongoing. And I know that we have made in the developed world, some small inroads into this. But I think that there are a number of reasons this happens. 
And first of all, I see that um, exclusively male boards, those are at the top table, they like to recruit in their aim, their own image. Yeah. So even though they might say to the recruitment agent, look, we are looking for women, it's still a bit of the old boys network of who do you know, who's aligned with how I feel and what I want to do, let's put that person at the top table. So they might make the shortlist, but they don't make it to the top table. Mm-hmm. I also see that women are less well-networked than their male peers, you know, and quite often they don't know who to go to mm-hmm. for personal development. And we've also got this, this whole Me Too movement that makes men more reticent to develop women because they don't want it to be seen as, you know, there's some sort of uh, uh, other agenda maybe on the go here. Which They're very, very careful around this. And if I comment on that, I think it's really important that you're not suggesting or implying or blaming women for this. This is men being overreactive and hypersensitive to a situation that is a valid, legitimate concern. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think it is a, a little bit of this folk devil and moral panic that there have been a, a number of high profile cases of men going, whoa, I better not get involved with women because of that. Whilst actually what we're looking for, what women are looking for, is somebody who's stepped that, uh, walked that road for up before us, somebody who's got some experience to share that experience with us. So men not to be so reticent, that it really is about actually spotting talent doesn't matter whether it's male or female or any, you know, any other gender, that they see talent in people and they nurture that. So it's investing in that. Yeah. Um, I also think that men, uh, you know, whilst they are surrounded um, by more people who are keen to support them, they also tend to think about, actually, if I promote this female or this, this person, look at all of the other operational support that they give me. Do I really want them to move up the ladder or do I want, want them to keep where they are? And we have, we have this whole idea, you know, we talked about this earlier um, when we met last time, we desperately want to please. Yep. So if there's extra work lands on our desk, if we're working all hours that, that God's given, we think that actually rather than shout about how good we are, we think we'll get noticed. Yeah. But actually, yeah, yeah, we get noticed as being the person who's the doer. So that can keep us down. Mm, Okay, that can stop us. And it's just the opposite. A woman thinks if I'm a good doer, then that will get me noticed. Maybe you just said that, though. It's it's uh, sinking in now. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be willing to be bold, to be brave, to toot our own horn. And that doesn't mean everyone's going to be happy hearing it. We can't no, uh, please no, everyone. No, it doesn't. But I think it's it's how you toot your own horn, isn't it? Correct. Rather than the you know the bold stance, the sort of slightly arrogant. Whoa, look at me, I'm amazing. Right. It is being prepared to stand up and say, I just want you to recognise my competency in these critical things that I've done, and why that means that I'm able and willing and keen to take the next step. Yeah. Now that is which is another issue that I I come to where we. Uh, we do ourselves a disservice. Mm. And that is when we read the job description as women, when we go, okay, so this is the next layer, this is director's position, we'll look through the job description, we'll go, well, I've only got 85% of that capability. And so we won't apply because we haven't got 100%. This whole perfectionism thing we've yes. got to pay attention to. And know? that makes me think of this concept of uh, imposter syndrome. Yeah. You know, in my yeah. coaching practice, a lot of my coaches experience feeling like an imposter, men and women. Yeah. You talk about self-sabotage and the imposter syndrome. If I'm a listener who's tuning in today, prone to such behaviors, how does one go about changing that? 
I mean, this, actually, the, the thing that I think that's very interesting, and I go back to pre-COVID when I was talking at a conference with about 350 leaders in the room, um, only about 10% were women. And I asked the room, I said, put your hand up, those of you who at some stage in your career has suffered from imposter syndrome. And about 80% of people raised their hand and the other 20% were liars. <laughs> um, and I think this is... You inform them of that, I see. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, yeah, and actually, it's a really interesting thing. When, I, when you look at some of the greatest leaders um, that we recognize, people like Einstein, he once said, I'm an involuntary swindler who doesn't deserve the attention that I'm getting. And I love a quote from Bertrand Russell, who's a British philosopher and social critic. And he said, the whole problem with the world is that fools and fanatics are always so certain about themselves and wiser people are so full of doubts. And it, and it is so true. And I think one of the critical things that we've got to get to grips with is actually being honest with each other and yes. sharing how we genuinely feel, because then we'll find actually we'll get over what I call um, pluralistic ignorance, mm-hmm. where we doubt ourselves privately yes. um, because we think we don't talk about it. So we think we're alone in our thinking and that sometimes we're absolutely surrounded by our boss, our peers, our direct reports are all in exactly the same situation. Yeah. So I think I've, I've got what I call my top six tools for overcoming okay. this kind of a syndrome, and, okay? And I have one. Uh, I'm curious to see if it's on the list. If it's not, I'll add it at the end. Okay. okay. Well, why don't you start? We start with yours and we'll probably oh. go snap. I think okay. that would be great. Um, stepping into vulnerability. Yeah. Being prepared to be vulnerable. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And proactively being vulnerable and willing to admit your mistakes and your failures and your weaknesses and your fears with just a, you know, hey, this is not with all this angst, just this is what is the case for me now. And I, I've seen me do this. And sometimes I have to push myself to do it because I'm still slip into wanting to look good and, and perfect. And I say, no, nope, no, Amy, that's too exhausting. And that's not going to serve you or the other person. And so I'll step into the space of vulnerability. And usually it's a there's a burst of laughter and joy as a result because the person's like, oh, me too. She's a, and also, you're a human being. Guess yeah. what? Amy Carroll, this great character that I know that I is so inspiring and so motivated, is actually human. So isn't that brilliant? I call it practice failure. It's exactly the same thing. Nice. Okay. So if we if you look at people like James Dyson, he made over three thousand prototypes of his Dyson vacuum cleaner before wow. it before it actually worked. But he kept learning from what's that mistake? How can I not replicate that mistake? And um, the same with people like J.K. Rowling. She went to twelve different publishers who mm-hmm. turned her down before mm-hmm. she finally uh, had her fantastic success, her literary success. So it is that. What am I going to learn from this? And sometimes actually you learn that the person who's just turned you down is an idiot or you learn you learn something useful which takes me to my number one um, in terms of overcoming imposter syndrome and that is my number one is always seek feedback you know, it's the greatest tool is to pay attention to um, how are you feeling if you're not feeling competent or confident find somebody that you really trust who will be genuinely honest with you And that isn't necessarily the person who's your best friend who will just blow hot air and say, no, you're brilliant, you're amazing. It should be, we should be continuously looking at what can I do to improve, okay? It's that crucial thing. Um, The other thing that we don't do is we always make a note of our failures and not of our successes. Yes. So I have a little book that I keep that sort of every... um, 
every day I write down what are the things I'm really proud of or what are the things that have worked really well for me. And when you're having that crisis of confidence, just to go back to your daily writings and just go, actually, you know, I'm not terrible. The other thing that is great is just look back at your last 12 months and look at what have you overcome rather than what you failed at. Yeah. And make a note of that. Crucial thing is in a script, isn't it? How many times do we tell ourselves, oh, you idiot, oh, you're useless, oh, you're rubbish. Mm. And actually, we've just got to tell that person to shut up sometimes. <laughs> and, and I love the Nelson Mandela quote where he said in his inaugural speech, he said, who am I to be brilliant, talented and fabulous? And God says, who are you not to be? Yeah. So, you know, it's have your inner mantra when you reach a difficult impasse. It, it, and that inner mantra might be, what can I learn from this? Or what did I succeed at? So that we really work on that horrible voice that tells you you're rubbish when actually you're fantastic. Yeah. Um, what I like to do at the beginning of a difficult task, because so, I'm, so I'm getting, let me interrupt on. a second. You said there were six things. Did you feel yes. like you, you named all six already? So that, that's three. Seek okay. feedback, reflect on and make a note of your successes, work on your inner voice. Um, my number four is picture what success will look like at the beginning of a task and think about what's it going to look like at the end? How will it feel? How will I measure when I've got there? What will I be doing that's different? And it literally is you're setting yourself a blueprint for how you can achieve this thing that feels really big and difficult. Gorgeous. Visualization Uh, is uh, what I'm hearing. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Visual, where are you going? And and what are those blocks in the road? How can you overcome them? How can you skirt them or go under them? We mentioned practice failure, which is my number five. And number six is to remember that our brains are plastic, okay? They are mm. not fixed. And if you want a growth mindset, the brilliant thing to do, which the thing I love to do is continuously practice doing something different that you've never done before. And it might be as simple as I'm going to drive to work a different way yeah. or I'm going to eat at a different restaurant because that plasticity continually yeah. fires and wires together new motor neurons and leaves us open to change and stops us from having that fixed mindset that says, I couldn't do it then, so I can't do it now. Right. Be open to the possibilities. So Lily, we're going to take a break in a moment. And I ha- I want to co- when we come back, I have a book recommendation for listeners. And I want to comment on a couple of things you said Now, listeners, if you want to connect with Lily, you can reach out to her directly on her website, morganjamesconsulting.co.uk. That's M-O-G-A-N-J-A-M-E-S-C-O-N-S-L, no, S-U-L-T-I-N-G.co.uk. Amy, you just missed out an R in the Morgan then at the beginning. I'm adding R's when I'm speaking and I'm removing them when I'm spelling. (laughs) M-O-R-G-A-N, jamesconsulting.co.uk. Thank you. Thank you. Now, we've got some, um, if you listeners want to take your superhero partner powers into the next decade, join me for my online leadership presence course. And you can find out more about that on my website, carolcoaching.com. Now, funny enough, in my Carol uh, spelling of my name, I have two R's. So make sure you remember that and the two L's. When we come back, we're going to be hearing more from Lily. Stay tuned. You're listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you have colleagues, family members or neighbors that just drive you crazy sometimes? Do you occasionally find yourself feeling disrespected, mistreated? 
or annoyed by others. As a no-nonsense communication coach, trainer, speaker, and author, Amy Carroll may have a solution for you. For over 35 years, Amy has studied status and power dynamics, what sabotages relationships, results, and how to get desired outcomes in business and personal interactions. Make your partner look good is a philosophy from improvisational theater, as well as Amy's favorite mantra. For the last 20 years, she has been using her superhero powers to inspire individuals and multinationals around the globe to transform their communication and tap into their own partner powers. With concrete behavior changes in voice, body language, words, and attitude, Amy shows clients what to keep and what to change to get more of what you want more often with less hassle. Visit carolcoaching.com today. That's C-A-R-R-O-L-L coaching.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. We want participation from you. Feel free to send an email to amy at carolcoaching.com. Now, back to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Here again is Amy. Welcome back. My guest today is Lily Newman, a keynote speaker, leadership consultant, ex-BBC journalist, crazy cake maker, flag waver, advocate for women in business, and we have been discussing the her top six tools for combating imposter syndrome. And Lily, as I was, spe- as I was listening to you when you were speaking, yeah. I had this memory of working with a team in Geneva years ago where I, we must have spent about three hours in the first part of the session focusing on all the successes they had since we had originally started working together. And the bosses were like, um, you know, Amy, yeah, this is, uh, kind of feels like a waste of time. I mean, they didn't quite say it that directly, though that was the message. They, or actually, maybe they kind of waited. They were polite enough that they waited till after um, to mention that when we were doing the debrief, because they yeah. said, we really thought at the beginning this was going to be a waste of time. And then we saw the energy it created and yeah. the enthusiasm. And then also, so I'm always inviting my coachees um, play Monday morning quarterback, assess what, when you had a big success, all the things that worked, because then you're raising it to the conscious and conscious mind. And then that's accessible to you in the future. Of, oh, this worked last time. I can do this again. Yeah. I can replicate that. Yeah, absolutely crucial. And I think one of the, the things that you see that kills a team or kills an individual is when they've been given a project and then suddenly that project is is no longer important and they're given something else to do. And all of that work that they've done is not recognized. It, you know, the boss thinks there's no point in wasting time on that because the client doesn't want that anymore. So I just need you to shape shift and shift your mindset into focus on this new thing. Yeah. And if you've had a team that's worked really hard, I've seen this on a cup with a couple of international companies that I've worked where a company has has shifted its intention they've and they've had 
huge teams work for eight months on a, a massive project that they're just within a couple of months of delivering and then things change and yeah. there is no attention being paid to all of that great work that's been done it's a way to completely destroy any motivation and yeah. d- destroy any intention of putting the same effort and energy into the next project yeah you know, and, and okay this happens doesn't it we have to sometimes shape shift we've seen this with, with covid over the last 17 18 months but actually giving those teams the opportunity to talk about what have I learned through this? What am I most proud of during this? Let's, even though we're, we're not getting to deliver it for the client, let's actually just go out and celebrate what have we learned as a result of this experience. Otherwise, you just cannot maintain that level of motivation and connection and no. engagement with your staff. And the other thing I want to add is as you were going through these uh, top six tips and approaches, is this book that I read a couple months ago by Reshma Sujani called Brave, Not Perfect. And a brilliant recommendation for listeners. I might've mentioned it on a show in the past. I can recommend that because she goes through all of these very, very concrete recommendations for how to build your courage and bravery. And maybe a number of the things, at least, at least half of the points you made were definitely included in her list. Yes, you want to say that? No, I was just going to say, I was going to say that sounds like a good read. I'll check that out. Yeah, yeah. She also, she started Girls Can Code or Girls Who Code. So she's the founder of that. All right. So here now we've been looking at improving opportunities for women in the West and combating imposter syndrome. Yet it's not the same in all parts of the world, as we know. So Lily, talk to me about your work with women through the charity Act for Africa and what you're wanting to achieve through your projects in Uganda. Uh, yes, actually, Amy, it'd be really useful just to give you a little bit of context on it. Uh, it, was, it was 21 years ago that my best friend was out in Uganda uh, for a three-month expedition, and, and she was horrified. She'd lived in Tanzania for a number of years, so she, she knew sub-Saharan Africa fairly, fairly well. Not that I'm saying that Tanzania and Uganda are the same, but she ended up visiting a lot of um, communities where a lot of men had died as a result of HIV, uh, child-led house, house, households with a 10-year-old, 11-year-old trying to beg for enough food to raise two other younger children. Um, and she ended up holding the hand of a dying man and having nothing to offer him apart from prayers for a better life on the other side of death. And she came back to the UK. I had uh, worked with a national charity for a number of years before. Um, several of our friends had worked in sub-Saharan Africa. So we set up Act for Africa because we saw that performance art would bring, if you had a PA system in tribal Africa, every member of the community who can come running will come running once they hear music, once they hear something's going on in the middle of the village. And so initially the intention was to use um, culturally appropriate materials to train indigenous teams to do HIV and AIDS prevention education programs. And the thing that we noticed very quickly, we've delivered HIV and AIDS prevention and stigma reduction programs to about 1.7 million young Africans so far in Uganda, Tanzania, Malawi. But the thing that we recognized pretty quickly was actually one of the major problems was the status of women in communities. And very often in tribal Africa, you will really find that the status of women is very much that of a second-hand car or a, a chattel, that the parents will pay a bride price, the husband 
patriarchy really, really reigns. The husband makes all the decisions. Even if the woman doesn't want to marry the man, if, if a bride price is being paid because of the level of poverty, she yeah. has no choice. And we're not just seeing this with, with adults. We're seeing this with girls as young as 12, 13, 14, 15. It is heartbreaking when you meet a 16-year-old who's already got two children and is married to a 52-year-old man. And so very early on, we decided actually one of the critical things that we need to do is look at how do we culturally shift the behaviors of men towards women. And that's one of the the most crucial projects that we've been working on over the last five, six years or so. And that is really helping to develop the leadership capability through what we call our HEAL program, which is health, empowerment and livelihood to help women to be more assertive, to be able to take control of their sexual health, to be able to say, no, this is not acceptable in the home, rather than just to play the subservient, I'll do whatever you ask me to. Mm -hmm. Um, The other critical thing, which has given women so much more respect, is we're training women. We run a Grow a Girl project. We we grow leaders in the secondary schools. So we we create uh, the condition for women, young girls, to be able to facilitate education programs, to educate girls about their sexual health, to educate them that actually they have an opportunity to be able to set up micro businesses, to be able to be what they want to be, and they do not have to be dictated to by men men what they do and when they do it and how they do it. Mm. So we're really working through the secondary schools and then with this phenomenal group of adolescent women who have so many hopes and dreams that have been crushed. Yeah. Yeah, And these girls are now coming in to work with Act for Africa. We've been uh, literally, I think we've done about 10 and a half, 11,000 young girls through our HEAL program to help to set up micro businesses so they have their own money. They have their own status in in the community where they're not just seen a drag on the, as a drag on the community, and I think yeah, the so, crucial. So it, it's, I'm hearing you know through the lens of the Predator Prey partner, you're uh, raising their status, and that's protecting them, and also literally giving them finances for them to be able to take care of themselves. Wow. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I think the thing that, that we've found over the years is because we also, we get involved of, with the husbands, we teach vocational skills so that they have the opportunity also to earn a better living. We do a, we do a Goats for Girls campaign. We help them to, to teach them how do we look after goats and chickens and make sure that they stay healthy so that they can breed more. Um, but the thing that we've recognized really early on is if you teach a man how to run a small business in certainly in Uganda, then the man will benefit. He will get the money. He will use the money how he sees fit. If you teach a girl or a woman how to set up a small business, the whole community benefits because she will go and teach her sister and her aunt and her mum. And she will teach the basic literacy and numeracy skills that we're teaching. How do we manage money? They are phenomenally um, resourceful in terms of we set up these savings programs. So if you're setting up a sewing business, you can save for another sewing machine. You can afford to recruit another woman to sew alongside you. And the thing that I've loved most of all, last time I visited, I had these beautiful girls, 19, 20, 21, 22, showing me their bricks that had been made by the men that they employed. Wow. Or the fish that they were selling at the market by the men that they had employed to go out and fish. So, so it's, it's changing communities. It really mm-hmm. is one community at a time. Wow. 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 That's really, really yeah, inspiring. <laughs> 
Okay, so um, we're going to switch gears for, for a little bit. Um, changing culture. For many people, it's an overwhelming problem with so many political, social, educational challenges. Why? I mean, you know, isn't it easier to do checkbook charity? Oh, gosh, yes. <laughs> of course it is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to, to Kathy because I was supposed to be in Uganda with her, but um, I had had a, a quite a lot of miscarriages before I became pregnant, shortly before she headed off to Uganda. And she came back uh, from Uganda devastated to see sure. the poverty, devastated to see how much uh, death and disease there was. And we, we sort of looked at the statistics. And at the time, there were about 14 million AIDS orphans in sub-Saharan Africa. Okay. And we sat down and we said, you know, th- this is just enormous. This is massive. How can anything that we as a little group of five founders, how can anything that we do make a significant difference to this? And then we looked at actually, let's translate it into something that's recognizable. In UK terms, 14 million orphans is the equivalent of every infant through to every 18-year-old standing at the preschool, the school and the college gates at the end of today without a single parent or carer arriving to pick them up because every single one of them has been obliterated by AIDS. Now, if you just take that on board, so your child doesn't get picked up, your friend's children don't get picked up, your daughter's children don't get picked up, nobody gets picked up. They're standing at the school gates. Then it suddenly begins to make sense. And you go, well, you know, if we do one family, what if we do one community? What if we do one region? What if we do one country? And you can build and build and build on that. Yeah. And I remember talking to uh, Kathy and Martin, um, this beautiful coffee. So Martin's a professional actor. That's where the performance arts came in. Kathy was a school teacher. So this is how she recognized we've got to get them early. We've got to change the way people behave earlier through the schooling, through the school system. And I was just um, reminded of a, a beautiful story about an author uh, called J.P. Iceberg. And every time he went to write a book. He went and stayed in a cottage on a clifftop overlooking a beautiful sandy bay. And this particular night, there was a massive storm brewing and the waves were crashing below. He could hear, he couldn't sleep all night. And in this sort of windy gale, he got got up and he sat at his typewriter. And as the weather stilled, he realized he had total writer's block. He couldn't think what he wanted to write. So he went off for a walk along the beach. And as he walked along this beautiful bay, he saw there was something shimmering ahead of him along the seashore and a small boy picking whatever these shimmering things were and lobbing them out to sea. And he thought they were pebbles until he got closer. And as he arrived up to the boy, he saw it was actually starfish that had been washed up on the beach during the storm the night before. And so he watched him for a couple of minutes and then he walked on. And about an hour later, he walked back and the boy was still there picking up starfish and lobbing them out to sea. And he went over to the boy and he looked along this mile long stretch where all these starfish were. And he said to the boy, what difference can you possibly make when there are so many thousands of starfish that will die on this beach today? 
And the little boy reached down, picked up a starfish, and he lobbed it out to sea. And he turned to the author and he said, it's going to make a hell of a difference to that one. <laughs> and that, that's what we decided. Yeah. If we do a family, if we do a community, if we do a region, and, yeah, the work that we've done, like we say, we don't know out of the 1.7, 1.8 million young people who hopefully will have changed their behaviours. We do know from the 10,000 or so 11,000 women that we have now, and girls that we've now put through a HEAL program, we know how many businesses are set up. We know how many families and communities have been changed through them. So it is literally, don't do nothing because you think the problem is too big. If everybody does a something to impact a person, a family or a community, we'll have a much better world. And and I'm guessing listeners are like, asking themselves, okay, I, I want to know more about that foundation. So listeners, you can go directly to the website, Act for Africa. And that's, let's see if I can spell it right this time. A-C-T and the letter, no, the number four, the number, the number four <laughs> A-C-T number four, Africa. Dot org. Yeah, that's all it Dot is. Org. Really okay, easy. thanks. Yeah. 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 And I, the crucial thing, the reason for all the swimming earlier on that we talked about is is because you know we are in a situation at the moment we have these amazing uh, young women who have got so many dreams but they're being killed by the covid pandemic at the moment there's no safety net for them so if anybody can give up an espresso coffee a week to make a donation of just a 10 pound note uh, or whatever it converts to in terms of euros or dollars you know i think it's something like 12 dollars um, per month that will feed a whole adolescent family for a week. And it will also, once we've got through COVID, it will put a, a new girl onto our Act for Africa Heal program to help her to set up a micro business and fend for herself so that she has choices. That's the most crucial thing. That's extraordinary. Um, Lily, I want to ask you one more question, though. Before I do, I want to give you a chance. If you had some questions you wanted to throw back at me. Yeah, actually, absolutely, um, Amy. Really crucial for me is I know um, that you've come through a really interesting route, haven't you? Improvisational comedy through to through to uh, this phenomenal work that you're doing. I know a lot of it is with women, but as you say, women and men suffer with imposter syndrome equally and need to find their motivation. What is it that's dry, dr- driven you? What is it that has help to shape you and the kind of career that you have now? What are those, who are those critical people that have championed you along the way and made a difference? Mm, For sure. My sister, Pat, Um, she's the, she's 10 years older. She was kind of a pseudo mom as dysfunctional as that may have been. (laughs) It paid off for me. Um, She created the predator prey partner model that I have been applying to myself and has um, enabled me to be a better human being. And then, um, and then also, you know, that it's, it's brought this uh, such a rewarding work that I get to bring to the rest of the world. And um, with that also discovered improvisation because it's such an, uh, an essential element to the, the concepts of power and status and uh, staying partner under pressure. Um, and 
what was it, the other the other people have inspired? Yeah, but who, yeah, who are the people have inspired you along the way? Because we all need, whether it's a uh, whether it's a physical cheerleader, somebody that you know, or somebody that you really respect. Yeah. Um, well, the, I there's a lot of people I respect. The ones that um, are always stretching and growing themselves. My friend uh, Gabriela Mula Mendoza. She's uh, a role model for me and. My friend, um, Karen Say, who started an organization, Bridges to Justice, these are just two women in my life who, one of the things I'm so grateful about is that we have made an agreement with each other that we're going to, what, what you were saying is one of the, the six things to combat improv, improv imposter syndrome is yeah. the having a person who's going to give you that honest, authentic feedback. Yeah. And for that, I'm forever grateful to them. Yeah, I think that's one of the, the critical things, isn't it? Particularly if we, we are suffering with imposter syndrome, is to think, of who are the cheerleaders? Who are the people that I really, really respect? Um, and I think, you know, occasionally you, you, you meet that mood hoover, don't you? You walk into the room and there's the person that sucks the energy out of the room. And I always worry about, I always say to people, who are the mood hoovers versus the cheerleaders you need to try, surround yourself with? And, and Pat is your cheerleader. Yeah. And well, be very also, careful. Uh, and and the, I know I said it though, just the, um, they're going to call BS on my stuff sometimes. Yeah, and, and, and be that, comfortable with that. Um, and because of that, I know that when they are my cheerleader and they're building me up, that's also authentic. It's not yeah. just for my ego. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I think the critical thing is if you go, well, I don't know who the mood hoover is, but people are avoiding you in the kitchen, in the canteen. Maybe maybe it's you that you need to do. <laughs> well, I'm interested to hear, though, because we talked a little bit earlier about overcoming those blocks. What would you say is the greatest block that you've had to overcome in your career? The greatest block? Well, the fact that something's not coming to me, um, I either is, I'm, you know, I'm completely um, delusional or... <laughs> Um, I've been using the improv attitude so much in life that when things fail, I'm like, oh, because I can hear my mom's voice. Failure is just another opportunity to learn. So my mother has been a huge role model for me in that way. And uh, my parents have always encouraged me to uh, seize life, have experiences, adventures. and, And if you fail along the way, what did you learn in the process? Yeah. So. Um, the blocks just become opportunities to learn something after, you know, I dust my knees off and get my ego out of the way and have a good pity party. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I think, I think, um, we can all have a little bit of hippo time, isn't it? I think my friend, the sumo guy, Paul McGee says, have a little bit of time to wallow, but hippo time has to be finite. Then pick yourself up and dust yourself down. And and we did mention this earlier on, and that is about working from a position of exhaustion though because it's so easy to say yes to everything I wanted to find out from you what do you do to refuel your tank that's really funny because I was going to ask you the same question okay so I'll answer and then you answer okay um joy play laughter um get you know I will call up my friend Paula in Manhattan just to make me laugh because I know she will um and to and it helps me to not take myself so seriously yeah. And, um, and the, I, I have got to make plenty of time for play and joy and exercise. And after you and I say goodbye today, I'm off to the lake because it's another gorgeous sunny day. And we don't know how many more days we're going to have of this. Um, so those are the main things for me. And 
when I think about you on all the projects you're involved in and these um, supporting healthcare workers and wounded servicemen and service women, the charities, what about you? Really, what do you do to maintain Really similar in terms of, first of all, there has to be sport. You have to be fit to lead as far as I'm concerned. I mean, physically fit as well as emotionally and psychologically fit. Um, The other thing is we we watch a lot of comedy. You know, we haven't gone to live comedy for ages, but normally we do watch a lot of comedy. And the other thing I have is I get up always uh, and walk for 20 minutes before I do anything. And it might be six o'clock in the morning and I have my best playlist on and people might think I'm the kind of crazy lady who dances in the woods. <laughs> so when I'm out walking, I absolutely love music. It changes my mood. And, and as, as you say, have your cheerleaders. I've got a phenomenal team. We've got 16 consultants. And if we've had a rubbish day, we will have those kind of black humor Oops. conversations. You just broke off. If we have a rubbish day, say we that have again. A rubbish day we'll have those kind of black humor conversations which you can only have between you and them you know you don't mention any names but this is this is what was really pants today and and, you know we'll let's have a let's have a good pants day tomorrow yeah fantastic um the the humor and they talk about how physiologically that impacts us and I have you know, my improv and I have particularly my English speaking improv troupe, which is dominant men and all scientists, except for me, we harass each other. Yeah. Like I, I didn't know I could hand, I could withstand this kind of harassment and get so much joy from it. I yeah. just, I was accidentally insulted by, well, not accidentally, he purposely insulted me and I, you know, I stepped right into it and it was hilarious and it just yeah. broke up my day, gave me a little bit of um, extra boost of energy. But you build a tribe, isn't it? You're part of a yeah. tribe. I think that's yes. the thing of people that really understand you really get, you really connect you and you really yeah. trust each other. Yeah. Trust is the foundation of yeah. that, isn't it? So now, Lily, we're wrapping up. We got just a couple minutes to do this. In 30 seconds or less, what is your final call for action for the listeners? My final call for action is to every single listener, do not wait for the miracle, okay? The miracle that is going to change your fortunes, give you a better job, give you a greater opportunity, put you in a better relationship. Just remember, you are the miracle. Ultimately, if you think about this, this is a thing that blows my mind. I think about the whole, the universe and all of the planets and that we are lucky enough to be born here, that we are something like 36.1 trillion cells knitted around a skeletal frame of 206 bones. It's crazy that we've got, some of us have got 150,000 hairs on our heads, some of us a few less. We've got fingernails that grow at twice the speed of toenails. I don't know what the hell that is about. But remember, you are the miracle. This is your opportunity to leave a soft but indelible footprint that will change the lives of those that come after you and those that live with you. Hmm. Thank you, Lily. Listeners, for me, my two call for actions are download and, or find that book, the one I mentioned earlier um, from Reshma Sujani, Brave Not Perfect. And another one I want to add to that list, I'm in the process of reading now, which is Rock in My World, Boundary Boss by Terry Cole. And If you want to send me your communication conundrums, clashes, challenges, mishaps, blunders, and successes via email or social media, I'll be reading them and discussing them on future shows. You can reach me at amy at carolcoaching.com. You can connect with Lily on her website directly, morganjamesconsulting.co.uk. You can check out her Twitter, Tuesday Club Girl, or her 
hashtags get up and go and hey, are you okay? Now, listeners, be sure to switch on, tune in, listen up and be inspired next week because I'm going to be interviewing Chaya Mystery is how she pronounces her last name. She's a human leadership coach, trainer, consultant. We had a delightful conversation a couple of years ago and I wanted to bring her in so you could hear more from her and to hear how she uses human compassion to connect and impact people, society, and the environment. Check out my website, carolcoaching.com. Feel free to check me out on social media, Amy Carol Coaching. And if you're game for more, I'm going to be hopping over to Facebook Live five minutes past the hour today for a short chat on today's call. Lily, thank you. It has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you, Amy. Loved it. Really enjoyed meeting you. Thank you. And thank you, listeners. You've been listening to Partner Up with Amy Carroll on the Voice America Business Channel. Happy partnering, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to Partner Up with Amy Carroll. Join Amy for another edition next Friday at 7 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Central European Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, make it a great week. And remember, make your partner look good.